You just arrived for your professor's office hours with 10 minutes left. There's time for one question, and your professor has to answer quickly, but clearly and accurately so you understand. Welcome to Cali Lottables, your audio law professor. Today you ask Professor Arthur Best of the University of Denver College of Law how you can tell if an out-of-court statement is introduced to prove the truth of what it asserts. You're asking a really good question. You want to know, in the world of hearsay, how can you tell when an out-of-court statement is being introduced for the truth of what it asserts? And how can you tell when an out-of-court statement is just being introduced for some other purpose so that the hearsay rule does not apply? I mean, a first take on that would be uh, some people would say, well, you never introduce a statement unless you want uh, the jury to believe that what it says is true. But it turns out that sometimes we introduce an out-of-court statement to prove that the underlying facts that it reports are true, and sometimes we just introduce an out-of-court statement because it matters that it got said. And when all that matters is just that the words got said, not that their underlying content is true, then we don't care about the hearsay rule. There are no hearsay problems. I want to uh, remind you of the basic reasons for the hearsay doctrine and then we'll see if we can apply them to some uh, test circumstances, to some hypothetical problems. The hearsay rule uh, caught on because it expresses a preference for live in-court reporting of information from people who know it. So here's an example. Let's say there's a case where it matters. Was somebody named Guest drunk at a party? That's the question. Was Guest drunk or was, was Guest sober? A witness could come live in court and say, my name is Caterer, I was a caterer at the party, I saw Guest, Guest was drunk. Now, the jury hears that. What about the opponent, the party who wants the jury to believe Guest was sober? The opponent can cross-examine the caterer and probe what we call the testimonial infirmities. You might want to write these down. They are perception, memory, narration, and sincerity. So the opponent of the idea that Caterer expressed could ask Caterer, what did you see that made you think Guest was drunk? Cross-examination can probe the quality of the perception of the speaker. Then you could probe on cross-examination how good a memory Caterer has. You could examine what caterer meant by the word drunk, because that's maybe an ambiguous expression. And also the jury could see if caterer seemed honest or deceitful. So you can do all those things to clarify and elaborate the uh, meaning of the word drunk and the value of caterer's testimony. You can do that when caterer is in court. The contrasting example is if caterer was not in court and all you have is somebody else who would say something like, oh, a year ago, caterer and I were talking and caterer said to me, I was at that party and boy, was guest drunk. Now, can you find out from the friend who testifies in court how caterer saw the guest? Can you find out from the friend who testifies in court uh, how good a memory caterer had of what guest was like? You can't. 
You can't find out from the friend what did caterer mean by a vague expression like drunk, and the jury never gets to see caterers, so the jury cannot evaluate uh, caterers' apparent honesty. These are reasons why if the truth of the report, the content such as guest was drunk, this is why if the truth matters, we like to have the person with knowledge present in court. That's the whole basis of the hearsay rule. So let's try to apply this, uh, these concepts in some cases, starting with a simple case. Let's say a patient sues a doctor for malpractice, and the patient says, doctor treated me so badly that I lost the power of speech. Could the doctor put a witness on who would testify, last month out of court, patient told me I like baseball. Patient said to me, I like baseball. It's an out-of-court statement. Is it relevant in the current trial? It is relevant because it shows that patient has the power to speak. Would we want to know how it was that patient developed the idea he liked baseball? Would we want to know what patient meant by baseball? Would we care about uh, patient's memory or patient's honesty? None of those things matter because even if patient thought baseball was football, even if patient was lying, the fact that he spoke some words is relevant in the malpractice case. It shows he can speak. There are other examples where depriving the trial of the chance to probe the quality of the words, to check uh, perception, memory, narration, and sincerity. There are situations where losing that does not matter. Those are all the situations where the words are relevant in some way different from the truth of what they assert. So let's take a, a product's liability case, and the plaintiff says a product was designed badly and the plaintiff got injured using it. The manufacturer says plaintiff should have used safety goggles. So the manufacturer wants to put on testimony by someone who will say, last year out of court, I said to plaintiff, wearing safety goggles is important when a person uses this tool. You have an out of court statement. Is it being used to prove that wearing safety goggles is important? If that's the use, we would want to know why did the speaker think that? What was the speaker's basis for thinking that? How did the speaker know that? How well did the speaker remember whatever it was that originally made the speaker think that safety glasses are important? And then we would say that the out-of-court words were being introduced for their truth, and we'd call them hearsay. On the other hand, what if the tool manufacturer uh, argued it just wanted the jury to know that uh, someone said to plaintiff out of court, it's important to wear safety goggles, not to prove that safety goggles are important. We'll prove that some other way. But we just want to prove that plaintiff heard those words. Could it be relevant that plaintiff just heard those words? Yes. Those words could have put the plaintiff on notice. Those words could have been a warning. And if all the defendant wants to do is have the jury treat those words as notice or a warning to the plaintiff, 
It really doesn't matter what the speaker had in mind when the speaker spoke those words. As long as the jury believes the words ever got spoken, as long as the jury believes that the plaintiff did hear those words, then the jury can do something with them, even if the jury might have thought that the speaker was lying or the speaker meant something different from what the words usually mean. If all we care about is, did the words get said, then the hearsay rule disappears. And we know that all we care about is whether the words got said. If the way in which the words fit into the trial does not depend on them being some kind of accurate depiction of a past reality. One other way to think about this goes like this. There's a difference between the following two ideas. Idea number one, is it true that the words were said? And then there's idea number two. Assuming the words were said, is the meaning of the words true? So we have two ideas. Is it true that the words were said? And the other idea is, are the words true? When the words have to be true in order to be relevant in the case, we call them hearsay. When all we care about is, is it true that the words were said, like, I like baseball to prove that the speaker could speak, like, it's good to wear safety glasses, not to prove that it's good to wear safety glasses, but to prove that someone heard about safety glasses and should have paid attention to them, then we say we don't have hearsay. Well, I hope this clears it up. Buttables are produced and distributed by Cali. That's the Center for Computer Assisted Legal Instruction. You can find more Laudables at www.cali.org/laudables, and you can send your questions and feedback to laudables at cali.org. That's l-a-w-d-i-b-l-e-s at cali with a c dot org. The Laudable theme music is "Ask Me No Question" by Learning Music. Buttables are for educational purposes only. Please seek an attorney if you need legal advice.